So I posted that the the theme of the talk tonight was going to be how to meditate when you can't meditate. And before I dive into that, I just want to step back a couple of steps, big steps, and just give some context because for with so many people who are new to this group, I don't have any sense of how much meditation experience you have and and even if you have any context about why meditating is useful. So let's start with that and then we can we can move forward. So um, you know and, and for most of us, you know, our lives are 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 organized around wanting to find happiness, wanting to experience things that are pleasurable and wanting to move away from things which are unpleasant or painful. And these kinds of basic themes are not something that we only experience as human beings and it's not only something that happens in Denver or Colorado. It's pretty universal where this is something that people all over the world experience and animals experience and even plants, you know, they move towards what is pleasant and they have ways and mechanisms to signal and to protect against what's unpleasant. So part of a kind of like basic universal life force system is to, is to have this instinct. Yeah. And in our, in our own worlds, we can see that there's ways in which that can support a sense of well-being where we can use this uh, in a way towards... Um, uh, helping us focus about what it is that we want to do. But we can also see how, depending on what's going on in our minds, that we can actually be attracted towards things which we think are pleasant, which actually cause an enormous amount of suffering. And we can also be aversive to things which are unpleasant, and that can also cause an awful lot of suffering. And so it isn't simple, the simplicity of pleasant and unpleasant, but it needs to be connected to other kind of qualities of discernment for us to know whether following it is going to lead towards something which is going to bring about a sense of peace and happiness or not. Yeah. So when our minds are not trained in discernment and we actually don't know what our motivations are, then what tends to happen is, is that we tend to follow our instincts and our impulses. And our instincts and our impulses tend to move us towards going up with the ups and down with the downs and around and around with the round and arounds. And we don't have a place of stability. And so when life is chaotic or, you know, people dump or, you know, people that we love disappear or get sick or any of the 10,000 kind of expressions of what happens in life, you know, we don't have a place of refuge because we're used to following what's pleasant and moving away from what's pleasant. And and we don't have control over life, you know. We don't have a magic wand that goes voop voop and makes the kind of, you know, flash floods and the fires disappear, you know. And the kinds of chaos that we're dealing with our political situation and the kind of global pressures that are, you know, the thumbscrews are tightening in many different ways. And so we don't have a magic wand that can just exempt us from all of that and just, you know, 
follow your bliss, follow your bliss, follow your bliss, where the only thing that we're interested in is a kind of like beeline towards the pleasant sensations and to sidestep everything which is unpleasant, including the kind of large amount of of confusion and doubt and disbelief and anger and irritation and uncertainty and sadness and and loneliness and, and emptiness, which are basic human experiences that we all navigate. Okay? So without kind of any frame of reference, without any context, without any a sense of proper boundaries about what is and is not okay, without any uh, clarity about the muscles of the mind and the way to focus attention, it's a little bit like being at sea without rudders and sails. We're just, we're just navigating by the winds of the current. We, we don't have much choice. We're just in the environment floating according to the environmental factors, the tides, the winds, the drift. You know, we're just, that's what's happening. And so that feeling of just being adrift is is, is, is unpleasant experience, you know. This is very much um, interested to have a little bit more understanding of what's happening and how to make choices so that we can actually steer the boat in the direction we want to go, okay. We want to go to Tahiti, we can go to Tahiti. We want to go to India, we can go to India. We're not just out at sea waiting for the tides to shift and move us wherever they want us to go. So meditation is about, is, is within a context of frameworks, it's in a context of parameters, it's in a context of understanding the mechanisms of the mind, of how when you place attention in a particular way, you get a particular result. And when you do it another way, you get a different result. So just before this class, we were meeting and talking about our own practice and also affirming refuges and precepts, which is a, a way of, of, of creating context and creating some parameters that give us some rudders and some boundaries and some clarity about, I'll go in this direction and not that direction, okay? So, you know, we experience anger. That's something that happens in human beings, but... It's okay to feel that. It's not okay to smash somebody over the head, okay? So to know the difference between the feeling and the action is really important. And so to have parameters around what is appropriate action and what's not appropriate action gives a a kind of a discernment about, all right, I can feel all this stuff, but it's not okay for this stuff to manifest in action when it crosses certain boundaries, right? So meditation doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in a whole context. And this context creates the way in which we can begin to develop discernment about how to make choices that are actually skillful that in the end bring about wholesomeness and, and positive result. So there's a, a lot in all of that. You know, we could talk for weeks, months. We could talk for years about all of that. So this is a couple-minute kind of like synopsis of just context But having understood that those things are there and working with them, then there's still the mental component of what are we doing with our minds. And the mind component has a couple of factors to it. And one of them is focus, where we're collecting our attention and letting it be directed at a particular place. So that's one component of meditation, is is that we learn how to collect. 
So rather than the mind being kind of jumping like a monkey from tree to tree and limb to limb and from here to there, and it's following this thought and that thought, and I like this person, I don't like that person, and what about that, and what about the job, and I'm tired and I'm hungry, and, and I need to do these projects, and what order should I do it in, and I don't know what to decide, and what was I thinking, and what am I going to have for lunch tomorrow, and what do I need to do for shopping, and what about my present from my friend, and it's like, it's all over the map. <laughs> That's normal. For most people, that's normal. That's exactly the way our minds are. They're all over the map. But all over the map is not peaceful. And all over the map doesn't give us a kind of leverage to work with things and really be able to understand where's, what's happening here. You know, where is there tension and tightness and sorrow and how can I release that? So settling and focusing and getting clear is really helpful in being able to see what's happening. When we're not clear, it's really hard to see what's happening. Okay. So, focus and collectiveness is often really important part of meditation. And you know, there's large systems of meditation that encourage, okay, sit upright and put your hips here and let your body relax and potential tension drop into your body and work with your breath. And these are all really important ways of beginning to get some way of navigating this kind of developing rudders, finding sails, figuring out discernment so that we can make choices that steer our boat in directions that are useful rather than just being at sea. Okay? So all of that's good. None of that's bad. And it's contextual. And there can be times when you can be meditating for either a short period of time or a little bit of time or a long period of time, and you end up in situations where those kind of normal things just don't operate. And I'm in one of those situations now. So uh, the end of June, I fell off my bike, I landed head first, and I've got a concussion. And so the normal way in which the mind focuses absolutely does not work in the normal way that I'm used to, okay? And so last night I was staying at friends in Denver and I brought a CD of Seth Holzer's Permaculture. And at the moment I'm way into permaculture because first of all, I think it's fabulous that you, many of the problems of the world can be solved with this. And it just absolutely delights me that you can create systems that everybody's happy. The animals are happy, the people are happy, the birds are happy, the bees are happy, the plants are happy, the trees are happy, and it takes very little work and water and energy and resources to make it happen. You need intelligence. Anyway, so I am like an absolute fan of Sepp Holzer and his genius about permaculture, so I was watching these videos. So I am like... like in the dinosaur era in terms of these technological things like how do you make a DVD go, you know? So the fact that I could put the CD into the DVD player and make it go for me was like a miracle. I couldn't believe it. It was like, you know, you have these remote control things. It's like flying an airplane. I have no idea what these things are supposed to do and how to make it go. So I ended up pushing two buttons and it went and it was like, how did that happen? You know, amazing. Okay. So... We got to watch the movies, and that was great, because I've been looking forward to that for a long time. And I don't have a television with a big screen where I live, so I have just a computer. And so then we took it out, and I put it back onto television, and it was, it was another miracle. And then 
and then and then I'm staying with Hansa and her father, whose name is Bob, and Bob comes and he says, the, I can only get one channel on the television. You know, can you help me get more channels? And it's like, maybe, most likely not. <laughs> maybe. So anyway, so Hansa and I went to go look at the television. And the television was like total seizure. You know, the machine, the DVD machine is flashing on and off, that it's flashing, the power's going on and off. And then it's cycling. It's, it's, there's one screen, it's on the guide, and it's going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and back up to the top, so it's looping. And nothing, there's no button that's making any difference on the remote control panel. And I'm watching this, and I'm watching Hansa trying to figure it out, and there's nothing that she knows how to do to fix her it. And I says, this is exactly what my mind is like these days. You know, this is totally exactly what my mind is like. There is no remote control that works. None of the normal functions work. It's looping from one thing to the next, to from one thing to the next, from one thing to the next. The thing is chaotic. There's nothing about what's happening that's actually useful or helpful or peaceful or settled. And that's exactly what sometimes my mind is like. It's a perfect example of what my mind is like. So when you have the instruction that what you need to do is to sit upright and to focus your attention and to have your attention drop into your body and your remote control is not working, okay, you have no mechanism to direct your attention, either because, like me, I've got a brain injury or because your energy is too low or because you've got a kind of like overload of sense impact or of emotion, the normal controls are not working. Most of the time we think, I can't meditate. You know, I can't meditate. But you can't meditate in the old way, in the regular way, in the classical way, in the traditional way. But that doesn't mean that you can't meditate. Okay? So we have this very narrow frame about what meditation is. And what meditation is to most of us is that we sit with our eyes closed and we don't move and we focus our attention, okay? That is one component of meditation and a very useful one. So it's really important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But when, for whatever reason, we don't have access to being able to sit upright and focusing our attention and dropping our attention in, then we can access meditation through another vehicle. And that's not through focus, but it's through relaxed awareness, okay? It's through relaxed attention and awareness. Awareness is not requiring focus. So when my mind is like all over the map, you know, and I feel disoriented and I don't know who I am and I feel completely confused, I can know I feel disoriented and completely confused. I can know that. And in knowing that, there is a moment of awareness. And in the awareness, there isn't disorientation and confusion. There's clarity, okay? So when this has all been happening, you know, I tend to have energy issues anyway, but this last whatever has been, like, really quite strong. So it's rare that I have the energy to sit upright. So I don't. I lie down. Or I press against a tree, you know, so on the way over here, I say, what I need... I need a place where I can sit and eat a little snack and I can rest. So I walked and I walked and I walked and, you know, I walk on the street a lot. And so I don't, I didn't remember a place. 
So I walk past where I normally go, and there's this tree with a, a kind of like bench that comes out. It's the tree. It's just the way that the root is formed, and it's this perfect bench. And I sit on it, and I just lean into the tree. It's like, ah, oh, this is perfect. It's just made exactly for my body, you know. So I can sit here and relax and rest and have a little nibble before this class, you know. And so what we need to do is to begin to shift focus from thinking that meditation has to fit into a particular way to learn how to relax into what is needed and respond to that and be very, very attentive to the movements of resistance and contraction and relaxation as we're doing that. And as I relaxed into the tree, I could feel my body relaxed and I could feel my headache, the movements and the sensations in the headache, and I could feel it shift and pulse. And then, you know, I could connect with the cool air and feel the air energize. And so it was restorative, okay? Now, if I had gone to that tree thinking I have to sit completely upright and I've got to focus my attention and I've got to be able to use the focus of my attention in order to to allow me to move into a particular state, it would be a complete experience of frustration because I don't have access to that right now. Okay? So I was on the telephone to one of the neuropsychologist people who have been wanting to get to touch to talk to about all of this stuff, you know, and 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 he just said casually, he said the people who I know who've got concussions who are meditators, they can't meditate. And I said, because they don't know how to meditate this other way, okay? They haven't figured out this other way of meditating. So there are times in life, whether through sickness or through exhaustion or through profound grief or too much confusion, where we don't have the ability to direct our attention to focus in the way that is the classical and traditional way of meditating. But that doesn't mean that we can't meditate. And what is needed is a kind of creative finessing where we learn to trust our own body and move towards what is easeful and and restful, not simply because we're just following pleasure, but because we can understand that resting and relaxation and ease is the way that the tension releases from our body and allows our awareness to open to greater and greater ability to embrace what's happening, okay? Now, I live next to the Garden of the Gods, and for me, for the last five years, that's been an enormous resource because I go into the Garden of the Gods usually and lie down, and I let my body feel held by those rocks, Now, those rocks are 160 million-year-old rocks, okay? They're part of the first Rocky Mountains. We're on the third set of Rocky Mountains. They've had first, second, and now we're on the third set of Rocky Mountains. And because of whatever, the way I am responsive to nature and the feeling that I have in this place, my whole body usually just unravels when I relax into those rocks. And so I can go feeling upset or irritated or confused or disoriented or disconnected or spaced out or whatever I can feel. And I go and I relax. And in that experience of relaxation, 
my attention drops into a field of awareness. And in that awareness, there's no resistance. And when there's no resistance, there's no problem with what's there because there's no reason or expectation or idea that it shouldn't be there. And so when there's no sense that it shouldn't be there, then it's not a problem. And when it's not a problem, I'm not in battle with it. And when I'm not in battle with it, I'm resting in awareness. And I can see that in that awareness is very connected to this deep sense of, of love and unconditioned positive regard that sees that as the essence of everything. And it's not like there's good people and bad people, you know. It's like that actually permeates everything. But usually my world is kind of like this big, you know. And that's not my experience. But when I drop into that, where that is my experience, then it's like, ah, I remember. I remember what it is, my essence. I remember what essence of everything is. I remember what everybody's essence is. I remember. And in that experience of remembering, there's like no confusion. So I can come from a place of being upset or tight or tense or confused or hijacked by thoughts or emotions or anxiety or genuine concern about the unbelievable mess that this world is in, you know? And I relax into this place and it's like, oh, I remember. I remember this place where there are no problems. You know, and it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I've ended up into a Pollyanna landscape where there's no connection with the challenges of what we're dealing with as a human race. But it's like it's coming from a very different perspective. And so, you know, whether I've got a brain injury or whether you've got chronic fatigue or whether somebody is, you know, got catastrophic illnesses or 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 navigating some kind of really devastating uh, crisis. Those things by themselves do not exempt you from having access to this sense of peace. It's just that we need to understand how to access it, how to get there. Yeah. And so to tell somebody who doesn't have energy, you know, it's ridiculous, you should have energy. Like, what's that? That's like not helpful. (laughs) You don't have energy, that's your reality. And so rather than fight the reality, you need to work with that reality and let that reality be a portal to rest and relaxation and resource from which energy can sometimes come. Not always, but sometimes it can come. So even when you can't practice, you can still practice. You know, even when you can't meditate, you can still meditate. Now, there's a large number of people who are involved in the recovery community. And I am so grateful that these communities exist and that people are engaged in this level because unless a person is really committed to being clean and sober, it's really hard to get a handle on rudders, you know? There's no real ability to 
make clear choices. And so what I've heard from my friends who are in recovery is, is that there's this big book, which is like the Bible of recovery. And one of the things in the big book is, is that, you know, this idea that going to meetings where people are supporting each other in their recovery is like a really like core value that's reiterated and reinforced again and again. And this big book says, well, you know, if you want to go to meeting, you go to meeting. And if you don't go want to go to meeting, you still go to meeting. Because it's like the value of going to meeting is more important than whether you want to do it or not. You just go. Yeah. Well, there's something similar about meditation. You know, when you understand the importance of meditation and how crucial it is to be able to be able to get some clarity about what's going on in our mind so that we have some ability to make choices. Then whether you want to meditate, you meditate. And if you don't feel like you can meditate, you still meditate. But what we need to understand is just that there's different kinds of meditation. And that it's not one size fits all. We don't use one kind of meditation in a situation that is completely not a something that's going to work. And that requires some skill and some experience and some working with others and usually teachers to support and encourage. Yeah. So um, I'm going to stop there, pause, and we can have a break and stretch and have drinks. And then um, tell me what's your format after the talk. Do you circle up or do you come back in the same format? It's up to me. Okay. I'd like to have a circle so that you can see each other's faces. And have it cozy, not spread out throughout the whole room. Okay? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.